So I ordered some acoustic panels, so it's not so echoey. And so I think what I'm going to do is actually uh, adhere them. Is that a word? Adhere them? Is that how you say that? I think so. Have them adhered. Adhere <laughs> the panels. I'm going to put the panels on a uh, canvas, like a blank canvas. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. Thanks for that introduction. Jordan Howard from OM Healthcare actually provided that introduction to the podcast, Reed. I'm Chris Boyer, and once again, I am joined by my co-host, Reed Smith, on the other side of the microphone. Reed is over there in Austin, Texas. He works with hospitals, health systems on digital, social media, providing consultant work, also helping them with you know building out their websites and doing a variety of different things. You can learn a lot about Reed off of his website, socialhealthinstitute.com. And find out how smart he is by following him on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and all of those other social properties. Reed, welcome to our 40th episode today. Wow, 40th episode. That sounds like a lot. That is Chris Boyer. You can find him online at ChristopherBoyer.com, at Chris Boyer on all the social channels, uh, and follow him to stay up to date on everything that he's doing with hospitals and healthcare systems and other health companies around the country, very similar to myself, does a lot of consulting in that space and uh, is an expert on all things digital as it relates to healthcare. So uh, as Chris mentioned, Jordan was nice enough to read that uh, introduction a few weeks back at the Healthcare Internet Conference. Uh, We've been posting online, primarily Chris has been posting online that we'd love people to read the intro. We've had several people take us up on that, so you'll start hearing some more voices in the weeks to come. If that uh, sounds like fun to you and you would like to do it, uh, please, by all means, reach out. We'll get you the script. We can't wait to hear other people's voices, and we encourage you to be creative and have a lot of fun with it. Uh, obviously, also reach out to us uh, to tell us what you think about the podcast, and while you're at it, jump out to iTunes and rate and review us. This episode of the Touchpoint Podcast is sponsored by Loyal. Loyal's AI-driven platform provides health systems with the tools needed to amplify patient feedback and guide patients through their digital journey. For more information, please visit LoyalHealth.com. So today, now we've talked about website personalization to some degree. I forget. We're, We're 40 episodes in. I can't keep up with all this stuff. We've talked about personalization in a number of episodes and in a number of different instances or use cases. And so this week, we're going to drill down a little bit further to the problem with personalization or maybe, you know, maybe problems, a little bit of a strong word, but, you know, some things to consider, take into account and understand as you're kind of walking down this path. I think that doesn't make for a good podcast title. So that's why we shortened it to the problem with personalization. But personalization is something that a lot of people are talking about. I would even call it a buzz term that's being used at many different conferences. So before we get too much further, so let's level set. What what's personalization? I mean, I know, I know, but I just want to make sure everybody else knows. We always turn to our good friend Wikipedia. So this is what it says. Personalization consists of tailoring a service or a product to accommodate specific individuals, sometimes tied to groups or segments of individuals. 
and a wide variety of organizations use personalization to improve customer satisfaction, digital sales conversion, marketing results, branding, and improved website metrics, as well as for advertising. Okay. That's a great definition. And I think, you know, you liken this to like custom tailored suit. That suit is a much better fit and you're, you know, and you're going to like that suit or those clothes or whatever it may be. Anything that's personally designed for you, you're probably going to like and use and recommend and, uh, you know, all that kind of good stuff more than you would just, you know, a suit you bought off the rack. I like that analogy of a suit because if you think about it, you can go in and you can get a suit that's like size, you know, 34 long jacket and pants with 34 waist, whatever. You can you can get that off the rack or you could get it and you can get it slightly tailored, which is one level, another level of personalization, which is you take something that's pretty much off the rack and you tailor it a little bit for that individual person or the, a group of people so that it fits mm-hmm. so you have different sizes or you can go and have a tailor measure your entire body measurements and come back and build a suit for you which is a hundred percent personalization and if you think about that as a sort of a, a spectrum of personalization in effect what happens on digital where many people are when they're talking about this concept they're thinking about it you know how far into personalization can we go how much tailored can we make these suits Right. And and to what end? So what's the goal? Do you need to have a tailor on site to build suits from little swatches of fabric and, you know, a thousand measurements? Or can you get 90% of the way there just simply adjusting or altering the suit? Yeah. Uh, to stay with this analogy. How how long can we keep this analogy going? Podcast, I wonder. <laughs> we just, let's just keep on talking about suits. Uh, people can get to the end and go, I'm not sure we covered anything. Um, but I think that's a really great example of probably most of us, if we are doing personalization, is more of the alteration, not the tailoring scenario. Is that fair? I would say that's fair. And there's a lot of challenges or as we call them problems, right? That we'll talk about. We'll dive into those in a little bit. We'll also talk about some use cases. And a little bit later, we have a a good interview with a person that's been doing personalization for many years, John Burnt from the Burnt Group. Stay tuned for that interview. I've been talking about this for a number of years. I know that you've been doing it as well. And we've we've been going through some projects around this. I want to refer to a white paper that I actually co-wrote a couple of years ago with my friend Chris Bevelo called From Persona to Person and we'll put a link to the show notes. A lot of times when organizations, digital people come to me around personalization, they always talk about personalized marketing. We want to get to personalized marketing. And in this white paper that we co-wrote, the definition we said is by providing value to consumers through content that speaks to their individual needs based on known traits, preferences, and behaviors while increasing their engagement with a provider and driving higher lifetime value. To us, that's the definition of personalization. That's exactly what we're trying to get. Some of the areas where we fall down in your definition there, you're talking about speaking to the individual needs based on known traits, preferences, behaviors, etc. How do we know those traits or those preferences or those behaviors? And so some of it is setting ourselves up for failure in the beginning by just buying more tools and not understanding what we're trying to ultimately accomplish. You know, you also speak to the fact of knowing 
about people. And there's a lot of data sources out there that where we can actually start to get to know people without them knowing that we know about them. We, we've talked about that before, Google and Facebook and a variety of other data sources provide that. Really, how do we do this in such a way that, that manages that delicate balance of trying to be as personalized as possible that also makes it so that it actually helps to guide towards whatever our business goal is. And we have to do it all in this kind of delicate way where really the person that's engaging with us online is not feeling like they're being personalized to. Personalize Are they a personalize <laughs> <laughs> oh, We're just making up all kinds of words today. <laughs> great. I think that's a great point because especially in healthcare, now it's, it's different if you're looking to buy a suit or a pair of shoes or mm-hmm. whatever, right? We're, we're okay with going to Amazon and then the shoe following you around the internet in ads and stuff like that. Not, not that that's technically personalization. Well, I guess it is to some degree, but uh, you know, retargeting and that kind of thing. And whether it's Netflix recommending shows based on your viewing habits, Amazon recommending products based on your search habits, you know, things like that we're okay with. Yeah, you started getting into something personal like healthcare and that's where it starts getting a little weird. But it makes sense. Uh, You know, when we go see our doctors, we want the doctors to know about us and um, be able to understand like based on the different things that 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 we come to the doctor's office with to help develop a care plan for us that is personalized to what we need. I mean, that makes sense. But when they come to a hospital website or a doctor's website, are we expecting that personalization? I mean, that's really the, the, the uh, one of the questions that we have out there about personalization. Is that expected now in this industry? Because if you go to any, if we went to a healthcare internet conference and they were talking all about personalization. Do we even want to talk about this stuff? I'm not speaking to those folks that that have chronic illness or the higher acuity that, you know, they're doing a lot of research, maybe you've been diagnosed with cancer, for example, and they're doing a ton of research online. I'm talking about the relatively normal, quote unquote, people, right? You need to have an annual physical. You need to do this. You need to, you know, you need to have these kind of milestones. At these milestones, you need to have certain things done from a wellness or preventative standpoint. We don't really want to talk about that stuff. That kind of further distances us away from wanting to be okay with personalization. Whether we like it or not, though, as consumers and using the internet and using our phones, things are becoming more and more personalized to us. We're just not noticing it. Some of the underlying components of personalization are already there now. We already have lots of data sources now to really help us to understand known and unknown people that are visiting us online. We now have technology that's able to provide content based on what your identified preference is almost in real time. I've seen you know websites with personalization on them that could change if you're a man versus a woman and your, your images change. What are some of the other underlying components? We're becoming as marketers, more sophisticated with how to optimize personalization campaigns. 10 years ago, we weren't talking about, you know, marketing automation, being able to do trigger campaigns. You come do this and, you know, then it will know that and it will send you a different communication. Or we're starting to think more and more about that as we're starting to plan the campaigns and thinking about the customer life, the customer journey online. Relative to building personalization, I think, you know, obviously we've got to know more and more about folks. You've got to be able to segment these people down to groups, then smaller groups, then individuals, I guess. Um, Because I think 
again, not to jump ahead here or skirt the question, but I think it depends on what we mean by personalization. Are we talking about one-to-one conversations or are we talking about creating messaging or, or resources in a way that speak to a certain group? You know, that's not really defined on size, I guess. Going back to our sort of our spectrum of personalization and using our suit analogy in this particular case, it depends on where you're going at. I think a lot of people are going from you have one suit off the rack and then you're getting into sort of slightly tailoring it. And so to that end, it's not one-to-one. It's like maybe... I struggle with personalization to some degree just because of how... I mean, how granular can you get, right? Not to start talking tools necessarily, but if you start thinking about those pieces, I mean, you've got to have some of that stuff in place to do it to begin with. But philosophically, it's like how granular do you, do you really want to be? Right. right. How close to the tailor do you really want to find yourself? To, to bring it back to the state analogy. Exactly. Well, so you mentioned segmentation, which is an important part of identifying persona audiences. And we have have a whole podcast episode on defining personas around that. That's one of the many tools in the toolkit that people start to use to get closer to understanding that. A lot of times, though, when people talk about personalization, they talk about personalization on websites. Have you ever been on a website that has like done a personalized experience for you? Let me think. I mean, yeah, I mean, to some degree, especially those where you have an account or, uh, you know, you've engaged with it at a little bit of a deeper level. So like Amazon, for example. Or like if you log into your bank portal and it shows you your banking information and it might also recommend... Uh, related financial services to help you. That's a great example, right? Again, it's behind a password, so to speak. But have you ever gone to a website and it's provided you information without knowing who you were, giving you that anonymous sort of feel? I don't know that I have. Is that bad? Uh, Well, no, actually, that's I would say that's pretty good, (laughs) right? That's good personalization. If you think about it, like, for example, um, Google does it. When you search for Google results, it provides back information. It's filtered to your preferences. So right there is a great example of one that you don't even know it's happening. Based on your preferences, it's sharing you preferred results, even though, you know, sure. you know that's a good one. Um, sure. News sources, news sites can do that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where, where based on like your- Geography. Yeah. Yeah. At the very least, nine times out of 10, it knows your IP address at your computer or where, where you're physically located at that given time. So like you go to weather.com, it's going to give you weather reports related to that area. Websites have that that's personalization built into it. And there are a few uh, hospital websites, CMSs that actually right now offer that sort of natively built into it. Uh, I, a couple that, you know, that, that I know are, are, are talked about a lot are like Acquia Lift and Sitecore also has personalization on their CMS. And what that mm-hmm. basically allows you to do is provide sort of at a real-time adaptive segmentation of content and even do like A-B testing on different web pages based on anonymous web traffic or slightly identified web traffic coming to your website. This is the way this is headed. You know, people mm-hmm. are done with the online brochure, so mm-hmm. that evolved to more of an interactive experience, but it required the consumer to create the interaction. So now it's, you know, we're flipping it the other direction where, you know, we're actually engaging with the consumer, not waiting on them. Another tool that has been used is like emails. 
Way back when, when you sign up for an email newsletter, you just get an email that was sent to you every week or whatever it is. But now more and more marketing automation is being implemented. Rules are being built into emails that depending on what you click on in that content, depending on how you interact with that brand, it's sending you, starting to send to you personalized email communication. And I'm not just talking about their name, you know, dear Chris Boyer. The content itself is starting to shift out. If you go attend a, a webinar that maybe after the webinar is over, it'll send you some follow-up emails based on a certain plan. And those are probably more of the alteration, or that's an example of kind of the alteration. I mean, that's stuff that we're kind of able to do because people have taken some course of action. And so we're seeing more more and more of those types of things. What's, what, what's another one that comes to mind? Well, social media, and maybe not Twitter per se, but Facebook certainly is doing it. The search algorithms are all now built around what your own personal preferences are, and it's starting to share content. And more so as marketers are starting to get the ability to analyze their audience better and start to segment content to certain audiences and do some what they call micro-targeting or you know, hyper-targeting. Do you, you don't think Twitter's doing that? Well, I think Twitter is doing it, but it's not as overt or explicit as Facebook is. Let's put it that way. Am I wrong? I, I, honestly, I don't know. I probably should or should have a better answer for that. I don't use Twitter in the same way that I use Facebook. Like I don't just log in and scroll through Twitter typically like I would LinkedIn or Facebook Mm -hmm. feed the wall, the whatever you want to call it. And, you know, we talked about paid search and paid advertising, digital advertising. Those tools, they carry a lot of analytics from people. It could be longitudinal data that's coming in from Google. It could be data that it collects based on your interaction with that hospital brand. But now what we're seeing is there's sort of this omnichannel. I wouldn't call it omnichannel. We're not quite at an omnichannel level, but there's a multi-channel kind of communication and sharing insights to and from different digital properties. So now you're coming from a social site to your website, you're capturing that information and you're pulling data along with that. And so that gives you more of an enriching information to start to build towards personalization. But I think this all goes back to the fact that there's a few companies out there that are gathering a lot of information about everybody and are able to turn and sell that for personalization efforts. Again, Facebook, uh, I mean, that's how we buy our ads because we're trying to find people that like certain things, live in certain areas, have certain levels of education. You mentioned the the white paper earlier from persona to person. I mean, as we're building out those personas so we can actually drill down to the individual people, you know, those are all elements that we're we're looking for. We found a good article that talks about personalization and because quite frankly, some of the challenges with personalization, how to implement that. This article that we found off of diginomica.com, it talks about personalization and it gives some interesting stats. All right, so the first one is 42% of respondents lack the integration between data collection systems and 31% lack the in-house skills to analyze the data they do have. So this, I would say, is probably higher if you just looked at healthcare. Mm-hmm. So interoperability, we can't connect our systems that collect different pieces of data, or we don't do a very good job of it at least, or at all. And then the lack of the in-house skills to actually analyze the data they do have. So that goes back to the bandwidth piece and you know some of the surveying that I've done with hospitals of just you know how understaffed we are as marketing, communication, strategic planning, analytics, whatever you want to call it, departments, and having to farm out those insights and skills, if, if we even do that. 
Exactly. And the follow-on to this is only 12% have data at that individual customer level. And most of organizations, and this is industry, these are all industries, right, are using personalization via segmentation. Most of the people are. They're not even at that point where that fully tailored suit is in play here. They're talking about personalizing on a segment level, so still on a persona level. And that's not a bad step. I mean, you got to go somewhere. You've got to continue down that path if we're going to create any level of engagement at all. You know, another point, without an understanding of how customers uh, are interacting with your digital channels, holistically speaking, you can't implement personalization or make any other changes properly. You've got to understand what the data says, and you can't improve anything if you don't know where you're starting, right? Or what the baseline is, I guess. I think that's so true. That's very important. And another piece added onto that would be that you also have to know where you want them to go, right? You have to know what your goal is or what you're trying to accomplish. What does success look like? We've talked about that in other areas, whether that was ads or calls to action or I don't know, whatever, you know, where are you starting? So we know if we improved, if anything different happened, you know, what did it look like before? And then ultimately, yes, if we do this, Not that this is ever over, but if we do this and once we look back on things and we were successful, what happened? Personalization is built on having a large data set. And if you don't have enough data, then really what you're doing is as you're starting these personalization efforts, a lot of it is you're doing a lot of testing and experimentation to see. When you start to get into this, experimentation and personalization, they're related. This article calls them kissing cousins. I find that offensive. Sorry, I, I just feel like I needed to get on the, uh, you know, I needed to be offended. So everybody else is. So. I think, you know, experimentation is an interesting one and one that, you know, hopefully you've got some leeway within your organization to sandbox some things and try some things out. Because otherwise, you know, I've always said like, you know, when people are like, oh, should we get on Instagram, Twitter, now Snapchat, you know, et cetera, as the years have gone on, should we do that? And it's like, well, no, not without a strategy. But that doesn't mean that like, okay, you can't set it up over here and, and do some experimentation to see like how this might work and for you to help understand it better. Because that's how I understand a lot of these platforms. I have to use them to understand them. So this is, this is really no different. But just to roll it out in a broad sense makes probably not a whole lot of good sense. This article says that, you know, you should really look at it from a segmentation perspective to define a set of segments based on behavioral attitudes and attributes and defining an established customer journey for each and then prioritize the ones you want to focus on and really test it out. Test like a very small segment and get that right before you kind of amplify and start to do it over other things. They say don't try to find the journeys around everybody coming to your website or everybody interacting with your social media. That's just too unrealistic to take it on. All right, so what are some of the problems with it to get back around to the topic at hand? Well, in healthcare, I think one of the, the things that always springs to mind when you start talking about this And it's come up time memoriam whenever we've talked about any kind of segmentation or targeting or anything like that is the privacy issue, the HIPAA, the PHI, the PCI. That always is like that ominous specter out there that like people say, well, how much is too much information to know, you know, before you start needing to get into that privacy perspective? 
as an aside here, we can throw HIPAA on anything. Not that it's not real, because it absolutely is, or, or protected health information, I guess. HIPAA is a little bit, I guess, on the privacy side. But there is actual information out there that we've got to be concerned with. But there's a way we can do this without hitting on those pieces. The example everybody likes to use is somebody comes to your hospital website, they're looking at something on your hospital website that the general population, their family, their coworkers, whoever does not know about. It could be something that's wrong with them. Maybe it's an elective procedure, bariatric surgery, for example. Mm-hmm. So then all of a sudden somebody's looking over their shoulder and these ads are on their screen, right? Because they've been to your website. That's the scenario that plays out in everybody's mind. Right. But, but Reed, to that point, if you attend a seminar on joint replacement surgery, doesn't necessarily mean that you need joint replacement. That's a correlated connection, but not a causal connection. And so I think we have to walk that fine line of being able to say, just because I've identified I'm interested in this particular topic doesn't necessarily mean that's PHI. That isn't necessarily my own health right. information. That, that's a hard one without walking through every scenario, mm-hmm. right, of how this might play out, I guess. That is a problem with privacy is a is a problem or a perceived problem with personalization and we've got to take that into account kind of piggybacked off of that is just the comfort level of the consumer which can be influenced by privacy if they come to your website and it says you know hello welcome to generalhospital.com read thanks for visiting for the third time this week you know that's a little bit too in your face you know as we mentioned before If the content on the website kind of subtly shifts to be more related to things that you're interested in, I think people can have a lot of comfort around that. It it depends on where where the degree of that is. And I think that a lot of times we even err on the conservative side of this equation because we don't want to go too far where people think that we know too much about them. Right. But we do know too much about them already. Yeah, we do. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's really what this is coming down to. We already know too much. Facebook does too. Actually, they probably know more in Amazon and Google and whoever else. We've said this a million times that privacy is perception. (laughs) It's not really reality. Everybody's got a perception that fair amount is still safe. But in all reality, there's probably a pretty good chance that everybody listening to this there's some sensitive information floating around out there. Passwords, health information, I don't know, whatever it is. So we've got to kind of play around semantics a little bit, but we've got to make sure people feel comfortable. Um, The next one is, and we mentioned it just a minute ago, but interoperability. So this is an issue on a lot of frontiers, but just the ability to actually, you know, have the systems talk to each other and have data make its way uh, through our different systems to be efficient, uh, measurable, you know, et cetera. Maybe the people that access your Facebook page, you get a good understanding of their uniqueness and what their individual profile is. And you might also spend a lot of time doing personalization on your website. And then you may also spend a lot of time uh, doing personalization with your email marketing automation campaigns. But right there, we're talking about three separate different ecosystems of personalization. And how does the data flow in between all of those? And I don't think that technology is there yet (laughs) to get there to that point. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some personalization platforms on websites that indicate that they can be a little bit more omnichannel, that they could push content out to these multiple channels and try to get Mm. information back. But having that one personalization measurement analytical platform across all your technology, 
I don't think that's been invented yet. And if it did, I don't think we'd want to know about it because that's pretty scary to think about. <laughs> Before we go any further, wanted to bring a free webinar to your attention. Our friends over at Binary Fountain are doing this with their partner, Providence St. Joseph Health on November the 16th at noon central time. They'll be talking about how they're innovating the digital consumer experience. In this webinar, you're going to learn digital healthcare trends that you should plan for and act on. Also, how to adapt to the e-commerce model for finding and booking physician appointments. And of course, Providence is going to share how they're scaling that consumer experience across the enterprise to increase patient acquisition and retention. So to RSVP, head over to BinaryFountain.com. That's BinaryFountain.com. And click on the big orange RSVP button on their homepage. A lot of stuff crosses my mind, like how far into the future before it becomes transparent about everything that an individual's done online. Because that record is somewhere. Everything you've bought, everything you've done, all the conversations you've had. I don't care what your privacy settings are on Facebook. That's part of the deal we've made for convenience and being able to do some of these things. That's another topic for another day. You know, another piece of this, why interoperability is an, is an issue, is that this whole scenario is extremely complex and, and potentially can take a super long time to get into place. So personalization, again, means different things to different people depending on what they're trying to accomplish. You layer over that the technology they have or don't have and the ability to tie any of that together. And then, like we mentioned earlier, the lack of skill sets in-house and the ability to interpret a lot of this data mm -hmm. and create actionable ways forward and then somebody to actually push and pull the levers. But meanwhile, it's like, okay, well, we've got to go to meetings and we've got to do this and we've got to do that. It's just complex. I mean, it's just hard to do. I think about, you know, to what you were talking about, like that there is a data record of everything that you do online. Think about how complex that would be to just map the different segments of everybody that potentially could be accessing your website to get to urgent care, for example. I mean, just that one simple action, it becomes infinitely complex if you start to map it out over every individual touch point. It'd be really hard for us to get all that information gathered. And you're going to have to have incredibly powerful computers to analyze that data, you know, when we're getting into now predictive modeling and understanding, like, if you do this and this and this, then what happens next? And, you know, there could be various iterations. And, you know, you read might search for things a little bit differently than I search for things, even though we're kind of related in terms of our personas. It just becomes so, yeah. so complex. Yeah. And where does it stop? So people, you take into account people's buying habits, right? And so you've got this person that is coming to your urgent care to your point, and maybe you know all this stuff about them, but how are they different than this other person? Well, what if you knew this one guy buys energy drinks by the pallet? Do you take that into account? Like, how would you know that? You know, so when do you stop? At what point is more data just more data? I don't know where that line is. I don't either. Uh, maybe there's not a line. <laughs> I don't know. Well, then think about all the content and creative that would have to go into that. Now we're talking about creating multiple items of personalized content based on individual buying patterns. I, I don't think we are at the point now where we could creatively understand all the messages that we would need to put in front of them. That just becomes really, really complex to operationalize. I mean, at the end of the day, it's all very new. Personalization yeah. is just, for many, some organizations like Amazon and like Netflix, they spend a lot of time, years and years, 
developing a good understanding of their users to start to put together personalized platforms or personalized recommendation engines and stuff like that. In healthcare, we're all at the very beginning of all of this. And that's not to say the algorithms won't mature, but right now they're not there. Well, and and that's their business. Our business is not to create personalized online experiences. Netflix, it is. We're not equipped or staffed to produce that type of a product like they are. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about maybe some uh, use cases. Yeah, because it's not all doom and gloom. We're there, right? We've done some of this. It's terrible. (laughs) Don't do it. Just take your website down. We've done some things in hospitals and health systems. And let's talk about some of the use cases we see out there that are actually pretty good ones. One of the ones that comes to mind, springs to mind, is using understanding where people are coming from, from their geographic location, and delivering content based on that location. And really, we're looking at these in kind of two buckets, right? We don't know who anybody is and how do we target people not knowing who they are. And then obviously, you know, people that we do know, right? So what you're talking about from a geographic location, we don't know those people. You know, we don't know Reed is inside of Chick-fil-A. I mean, there's a pretty good chance that you know that, but... (laughs) Anyway, the point being is that it's a geographic target. And then delivering information like you're searching for locations or you're searching for a doctor, the website knowing where you're at and starting to prefer content or locations, doctors, Mm -hmm. services that are closer to you geographically. You know, a good example of that, I'll mention one of our sponsors, uh, Loyal Health, uh, has an AI-powered chat component that is, you know, the Gene Poner Hospital website. So that has the ability to know the IP address of the computer you're searching for and and serve you up answers, you know, like doctors, for example, that are closer to you. So that's that's kind of an example of that. Can we have a quick aside, though, on geofencing versus just targeting a geographic location? Because I think we have people that ask for things or hear, again, buzzwords at a conference or meeting or, or where have you, but they don't know exactly what it is they're asking for one thing but calling it something else Mm -hmm. i guess so geofencing correct me if i'm wrong here but you know we're drawing an invisible fence uh, around a brick and mortar location for example and we're having our content or ads or whatever it may be served up to people who enter that fenced in environment yeah so why would we want to do that and what I mean is, is like, because everybody's always like, ooh, let's draw the fence around the competitor and serve up our wait time to everybody that's there. They're already there, though. They're already at the location. So right. it's not like they're going to go, oh, you know what? It's five minutes faster over here. So let's pack up the car. Come on, kids. Let's go over to the emergency department across town. Right. Yeah, exactly. Shouldn't we be educating folks, not trying to persuade folks with our ads in those types of scenarios? So if you like children's clothing stores, maybe you've got a new pediatric offering, or maybe maybe you have a pediatric-focused uh, health mm-hmm. risk assessment or something mm-hmm. like that, right? Uh, maybe target those types of areas or schools where people are sitting at sporting events looking at their phones, where you can actually educate some people and maybe try to build some loyalty. So when they do need something, they come to you versus trying to target somebody that's in somebody else's waiting room. Or maybe educate, say, you know, oh, you made a bad decision this time, but next time, come to our hospital. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah you're, you're terrible at this. 
come see us. <laughs> you know, you obviously can't make good decisions. <laughs> you know, let's pick another use case using search patterns to deliver content based on what you're looking for. So, I, I worked at a hospital website where we actually, mm-hmm. depending on how you search, what your search patterns were on the site search, that it started serving up content that was more related to that search. So, you type in, you know, like the word heart. And it would, pr- it would provide information based on uh, related to that particular keyword that you're searching for and prefer that in the search results. And you can actually weight some of those more than others. And you can get into things like faceted search where you said, well, here are all the doctors that do heart and here are all the locations that treat heart and stuff like yeah. that. So that's another anonymous way to start to personalize your experience. We've talked obviously very specifically about mm-hmm. CRMs historically. Is that not a, a big component to why you would have a CRM is to have more personalized conversations? To different segments? Yeah, in the very least, right? You want to use it to start to identify your segments and personalize communication to certain segments and use a variety of different tools and tactics and information about them to start communicating to you know younger generations versus older generations, that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And then we mentioned retargeting earlier. So, you know, people have visited your website, people have visited certain pieces of your website. Being able to serve up content to them across social properties, search results, etc. Now that you know a piece of information about them or what they're interested in, uh, obviously makes a lot of sense. All right, so let's talk about a couple of identified. So once we know who they are, you know, what what are some of those use cases? Real clear one is, you know, someone attends some kind of event or a conference or an online seminar or whatever, and now you know they've opted in. They kind of identify themselves. Now you can start to communicate to them based on what they've consumed, so to speak. So maybe they attended a seminar, an online seminar, and then you want to send them a recording of that seminar for you for later use after they've seen it. And then maybe you can also segment in there and say, you know, within a week, we're going to send them, hey, you know, I understand you search for the seminar, would you like to join our newsletter? Or, you know, do you need to make an appointment? That sort of thing, like kind of do follow up communication after we know they have identified themselves and said, I'm interested in this. It's similar to what we historically did with direct mail around like new mover campaigns. So we know these addresses or these people bought houses and moved into them. So we're going to send them this information. So now once people have self-identified, you know, maybe they took a health risk assessment online, they signed up uh, for a class or an event or a seminar, like you mentioned, you know, they have some other interaction with us where they actually tell us who they are. The idea is to, you know, create some segments, create some personas, start targeting those folks, which maybe geographic based or whatever it is, but we don't really know who they are. And we will lead them down a path of actually identifying who they are so we can get more and more specific. This is a process, not kind of a one and done. Our interview with John Burnt goes into it a little bit in depth. He talks about you know creating a, a system for personalization. So are you ready to buy one of those tailored suits? I love tailored suits. Love them. Currently don't own one, but uh, so if any listener out there wants to buy me a tailored suit, just you know, hit me up. Hey, Chris, before we go too much further, jump into this next segment of the podcast, I did want to uh, mention and thank uh, one of our sponsors, Influence Health. Uh, you know, they've got a consumer experience platform that, that covers several things. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we've we've talked about content management systems on this podcast. Yeah, we did. What about CRMs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we covered CRMs for sure. And then obviously each and every week we talk about digital marketing. So digital marketing systems, uh, you know, in one way, shape or form have probably been covered, right? 
That's right. Digital marketing systems. And I would say that we even talk about it in a way of uh, that overall digital consumer experience. Well, there you go. I, you know, I would, I would recommend for anybody interested in one of those topics uh, or anything else, they've also got some complimentary solutions on their website. But, but head over to their website, take a look at what they've got and what they're offering relative to CMS, CRM, digital marketing systems, kind of how all that is woven together in what they call their consumer experience platform. Find your way over to influencehealth.com. I'm Audrey Lane with Mayo Clinic, and you're listening to Touchpoint or Touch Counterpoint, whatever you want to call it. Touchpoint, Touch Counterpoint. There are two sides to every story. Ready, fight! All right, here we are at this, uh, I'm just going to call it this portion of the podcast. Uh, since no one can get the uh, title right, where we argue. And so today, talking about personalization, what we're going to talk about is a little bit controversial, but do we, or should we, I guess, maybe share enough information, therefore allowing us to receive more logical, targeted content online, especially, you know, ads and stuff from businesses. So should we share more information or enough information so at least we get stuff that's relevant to us? I am going to come down as like, no, I don't want to get this personalized information sent to me because quite frankly, the more I give, it could potentially paint a wrong picture of what my preferences are. And therefore, it may skew the results I get and I'm not getting the full experience. So for example, if I go to Amazon and I look for WD-40, which I did today, that doesn't mean that I'm necessarily a mechanic, but that may trigger something in Amazon to say, oh, well, this guy you know, is a mechanic. And then now start sharing me more information around oils and other things. I, I think that's wrong. I think it could set you off on the wrong track. There's nothing wrong with ads about WD-40 <laughs> and related products. So you need to also have duct tape as well. That way, if it's uh, too loose, use the duct tape. If it's too tight, use the WD-40. Nearly all set. So here's the thing. I I think the idea of actually sharing more information is probably not a bad thing. And And here's why. Number one, we already have. So number two, we just need to better position that so that maybe you get ads about things needed around the house, one of which is WD-40. If you had and you shared enough information, then you would not get the ads about the related socket sets and drywall screws and stuff like that. But there's a big potential problem there because what you're doing is you're actually using that one particular touch point, me searching for WD-40, as being an indicator of what kind of persona I am. And that's not necessarily a good reflection. Sometimes that could be way off. I agree that, you know, there are some benefits if you get it right, but what if you get it wrong? Then suddenly you're communicating to people in a completely wrong way and you're filtering content to them based on what you assume they like. Yeah, but if you continue to share information, that'll sort itself out. Because again, it's like the sample size thing. It's going to be hard with a limited sample size to, you know, get anything worth anything. So we have to share more information to be able to have recommendations that are meaningful. Otherwise, personalization doesn't really matter. But if you emphasize that one particular touch point as being too 
important to defining my persona type, that WD-40 leading to me being a mechanic may be completely wrong. I may be wanting to get WD-40 to you know loosen the, the zipper on that tailored suit that I just got. It may not indicate that. So you have to be very cautious of that because I think you may put too much importance in one particular segment or a particular set of touch points that could send you down a path where I will drop out of the system because I don't think you know me enough. You can't drop out of the system. Kind of the whole thing. <laughs> With that being the case, like you can't get out of it. So if that's the case, just be all in. That way then it's useful and it's not an irritant. Now we're bordering on how much do you want to share? Because what you're saying is it basically opens up the door to let in all the information. So are you suggesting now that we have to share or that we should share our our health information so that, you know, hospitals can really get a good sense of who we are before we even show up. Maybe I'm not ready for that. Maybe I don't want to do that. I don't, it doesn't matter if you're ready or not. That's just tough crap. (laughs) You're, you're in. Uh, That's unfortunately where we are. You can't participate in this world if that's Mm. the case. Like you've got to just like go off the grid and live in one of these like weird cities out in the desert where like there are no laws or something and everything's made out of pallets. (laughs) That's where you find yourself. Okay, I give you that. I'll concede on the point that it's very hard not to have a footprint out there if you're going to be part of the modern day world. But I still think that you have to make it sure that you have uh, the ability for for people that are starting to be personalized to, again, we're, we're making that into a verb, I guess, to be able to opt out of that personalization or maybe even go in and say, actually, my preferences are more this than this. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like everybody's got to have a profile that's publicly accessible that you update. If this is really going to become meaningful at some point. Hmm. So should that be Facebook then? It probably already is to some degree. Yes. I mean, we're already targeting off of it. It sounds like you and I are are kind of converging to the center as we always do at the end of these arguments, but it is a tricky dance that you take when you start down the personalization path. I don't get me wrong. I like to get things that are targeted to me. I think that makes my life a little bit more easier to navigate, but there are certain times that I really also would like serendipity to take over and just happen upon something that might be of interest. And I think too, I mean, I still think most people find their way based on recommendations, at least for a lot of things in their life. All right, welcome back to the Ask the Experts section of our podcast. And today, Reed and I have been talking a little bit about personalization. And as is normal for our podcast, whenever we get to this part of the conversation, we feel it necessary to bring in an expert on the particular topic. And what better expert than a person who actually wrote the book about personalization? John Burnt with The Burnt Group. John, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Well, I am so excited that you're going to be here kind of setting us straight and providing some in-depth expertise. Can you tell people a little bit about your background? Yeah, sure. Um, So I am a 26-year digital veteran, started in uh, 91, and I run a national agency out of Baltimore called The Burnt Group, otherwise known as TBG. It is an agency that kind of does three things. We do a lot of consulting, strategy, roadmap work with uh, healthcare systems. We also build out large digital ecosystems in Sitecore for 
healthcare system clients. And then we also are experts in personalization and kind of multi-channel orchestration. Uh, recently in uh, 2014, I wrote a, a very extensive book on kind of the impact of personalization on digital operations. It's called Personalization Mechanics. Also um, founded something called the Consortium of Personalization Professionals last year with uh, Amanda Shiga, who's my colleague from uh, Valtech, uh, formerly Nonlinear of Toronto. You basically wrote the book on personalization and set up a consortium. That's pretty awesome. How would you define personalization? And then talk a little bit about the impact it has to this industry. For about the first, I want to say, 15 years of, of digital, really starting with the, uh, you know, the Mosaic browser and the World Wide Web starting, we were kind of really only doing two things. How do we organize things on a page? What do we include, not include, prioritize? And then on the other hand, how do we sequence them in time in associative kind of arrays that, you know, may or may not end up being part of like a user's journey. And so, you know, everybody who's in healthcare, who's been in doing digital stuff, whether it's landing pages or, you know, websites or some combination of the two has been kind of dealing with a lot of decisions and norms and expectations around those things. And they're kind of the X and Y axis really in a way of our, of our digital world. There's now kind of a Z axis that has become really um, available. The Z axis is personalization, and that's where you're not delivering the same experience to everyone. You're, you're tuning the experience in a maybe a very evident way, maybe a very subtle way, maybe on a very macro scale, like changing navigation, maybe on a more of a micro scale, like showing a different piece of topical content on your homepage that shows a patient success story around uh, epilepsy and that might just be coincidentally connected to the fact that the person who's looking at it has looked at a lot of epilepsy content on your website and, uh, you know, that you're sort of reinforcing the, the quality of your outcomes there. Th that sort of Z-axis that kind of builds off of the default user experience, that's personalization. And there are many different flavors of it. There are many different ways to accomplish it. There are different platforms, different paradigms. Personalization that's done based on anonymous browsing behavior, personalization that's done based on known users who have, you know, signed up for an info session on bariatric surgery and without it being a, you know, a HIPAA violation or a PHI issue, you're now able to show them a little bit more about that or related topics that they might be interested in. Um, th those kinds of things are really, really powerful and they have a big impact on the person's overall perception. They can also go horribly wrong. They can help with conversions. They can also cause problems. Uh, they can also create a creepiness factor. There's a lot to consider. I think the thing that's really interesting about the current moment is that people have very limited budgets and limited uh, staff for the most part in digital teams, but they're really being asked to deliver on this more and more in different places uh, at the level of sort of almost one-to-one -one personalization. That's a ridiculous term that's thrown around. There's sort of a, an element of uh, irreality to that, even as people like myself are trying to get the teams aligned to what they really need to do to do, you know, real actual working personalization that's much more limited. You address one of the things that is always a concern to me when I hear about this personalization, which is it sets the expectation that it's like a one-to-one -one communication. When I work for hospitals and health systems, it's like, if you think about the, the the market that they serve, it's so diverse and there's so many people that are coming to the health system that just doesn't even seem practical. How, how do you address that? 
I think uh, one-to-one interaction is an interesting concept. And in a way, even though I think it's kind of laughable the way that the expectations are set sometimes, uh, you know, especially because of the limitations that uh, teams face, I think on the other hand, there's a way of sort of flipping it. And if you think about what a one-to-one interaction with another person is like, really what we're talking about is websites becoming a bit more at a very, very low level, like a person where, you know, instead of always being the same way, the things you do influence the things they do back. And those are one-to-one interactions, but they, they have many generic qualities between people. I mean, we have all kinds of psychological norms and language and all these, these fixed elements that we're using. So, you know, there's a way I think of thinking about one-to-one interaction that's that's tremendously scaled down from the idea of like a genie in the bottle that provides the perfect thing to more kind of a hedging of bets where like multiple elements that are personalized kind of cohere in a way to give the person uh, an experience that is like wildly more relevant. So to give an example, you know, if I am in a particular part of town the fact that the healthcare, the digital property for the healthcare system that I'm looking at is highlighting uh, the facility that's near me and that my obvious interests expressed through browsing 20, 30 pages on the site are showing up statistically more in the features and news and so forth. I mean, that, you know, it's, it's, it's not exactly one-to-one because there's a generic model behind it that is pretty broadly grained, but you can start to get into a sense of this is actually relevant to me. This is meant for me. And the problem operationalizing it is that you actually have to do the heavy lifting to figure out what that model should be. And then what are the programmatic ways that you can address different groups. And, and somewhere in there as well, you have to figure out the ROI of building out those models because you don't want to be putting a lot of time into a lot of personalization initiatives that, that don't actually drive results or make business sense fundamentally. Culturally, we're at a weird moment where you know, these teams are really being asked to do the impossible. And so you know, it's, it's really more finding a way through that's more of a middle ground like how do I graft some smart personalization practice onto my regular digital operation and, and get the organization from like A to F rather than from A to Z in one year or something like that? How do you see hospitals and health systems really moving their way to adopting personalization? What are some pragmatic brass tacks way that they could actually start to embrace this without seeming overwhelmed? First of all, it's an unfortunate thing, but there, there are some platform decisions that have to be made. So there, there's really two approaches from a platform perspective. One is an integrated uh, system like Sitecore, Adobe, uh, Acquia Drupal all have offerings that, where the content management system that runs your digital products is also the personalization system. And that has an enormous operational benefit because you, you really have one content silo now. You don't have to bounce back and forth between different systems to do personalization. Unified model of content, unified model of tracking, unified interface goes a long way to allowing a small digital team to do really you know, great work in this area. You have to kind of decide on the platform. If, if you do not have the ability to use one of those better content management systems, I would not go with a lesser content management system that has some limited personalization capability because those 
are for the most part really, really limited and will not scale. There is another option, which is the optimizer space. Products like Optimizely and Evergage and Dynamic Yield and Monetate, some of them very expensive, some of them relatively cheap. Those can add layers of personalization. But again, you're splitting your digital operation between very different platforms now. The one that you manage your base experience in is now really pretty alienated from the one that you're managing your personalized variations in. So that's the first thing is you have to make those decisions about platforms. You have to adopt platforms. And as always, anytime you adopt technology, you really have to think about it as we're going to have to develop a practice in this. It's not just buying it and then you get the features. You have to actually build up expertise. I think the second thing is, um, you know, figuring out where, the actual action is for you and personalization can be really complicated because of governance issues and because of unsorted out business uh, priorities within large organizations. And I know you and I have probably dealt with this a lot with the projects that we've done in the space where you come in and everybody thinks that they know what the priorities are, but they kind of only know how to list them in an order. And that order might change a little bit every day. You know, what is really going to be high value? What do you actually have the traffic that will support? You know, what do you have the data that will support? And ultimately, you know, what do you want to drive as an institution? And, and there are a number of different things to look at. We have a, a blog on our website called the Targeting 10, which is kind of like an inventory of critical mm-hmm. things to think about when you're trying to figure out if a given tactic or strategy is, is really the right thing to do. Mm. Um, and then the third thing is dealing with scale is a huge issue because, you know, you're building these kind of castles in the air on top of your digital practices. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've already got these base experiences that you've probably worried over a fair amount in terms of usability and content strategy and all that stuff. Now you're building, you know, alternate versions on top of them. And there's, there's quite a lot that goes into creating something that will scale and that will not start to create secondary problems. Um, and then there's also some structural issues about how the platforms work that make it hard to scale to large numbers of different personalization initiatives. So, so what you really need are systems where there is a kind of a abstract profiling of the user that's not just based on the user having met a threshold, not just based on them having seen one page or having converted previously or having signed up for an info session or whatever it is. Yeah, it sounds like when you're implementing a personalization solution that it does take time for you to also understand and learn how that personalization approach might work in actual, you know, application. I've heard someone once say that personalization and experimentation kind of go hand in hand. One of the things that is complicated about it is even when you do this more abstract modeling of different user types, you kind of have to have a discipline. And usually it's about every two months is for moderate to high traffic sites, what we do to look at how the model is performing and tune it up because the model is based on kind of preconceptions about who people are, how they're behaving, what's relevant to them. And then you've of course got, you know, analytics to look at. You need to also critically evaluate through analytics your actual creative messages and so forth in your personalization program. So it is very much a feedback loop and and it is very much a practice where people have to be looking at it um, like a sophisticated analytics practice, but in a way it's a little bit more complicated. Um, I think the other thing about it is that the institutional websites of large healthcare systems have a tremendous number of use cases bearing down on them. They're not just like being a shoe store mm-hmm, or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, as, as I'm sure you very well know, 
you know, there's like hundreds of highly differentiated ca uh, cases, some of which can be super high value, like recruiting new referring physicians for specialties can be super high value. You really need a thoughtful model that doesn't try to do everything, but tries to do a couple things really well and then tune that up periodically. And that's, that's really ultimately where the action is and the better programs, better platforms will you know, allow you to do that. So this sounds not like an easy task. <laughs> right. So that's pretty like a, a pretty major endeavor to begin personalization. When you work with organizations, what does that look like? I think these these projects really take off best as almost like stealth projects, mm. to tell you the mm. truth. One of the things that can kill them really quickly is to get all the service line marketing representatives in a room and say, what would you like to do? Mm -hmm. You know, or something uh -huh. like that. And, you know, there are people on normal digital teams that really, um, their skills really apply well to personalization work, like creative, thought, intellectually critical campaign managers, SEM and outbound email campaign managers have turned out to be some of the best people. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes, you know, people who are like analytics people uh, or content strategy people, if they have a slightly broad sensibility, can be really, really helpful. So we find that, you know, a lot of times it's kind of a conversation between like three or four people that, you know, are in those different areas, the campaign manager, the analytics person, maybe the content strategist the, and the CMO, and, you know, just kind of getting together and doing some stealth projects that create a core that you can kind of build off of. The idea of like, doing a top-down design of all the personalization you're ever going to do is is really uh, problematic in most organizations. When you look at like the future of personalization for hospitals and health systems, where do you think this is headed? Well, I mean, I think that there are layers mm -hmm. to it. I, th I think that convenience-based marketing where physical locations mm -hmm. and, and indications of where you are in your purchase cycle or scheduling an appointment or things like that influencing other aspects of the site, I think those are going to become nearly universal because they're just so direct and so high value. Mm -hmm. I think that the use of screen real estate is probably going to relativize to the user a lot more, but that is problematic because you can get caught in personalization bubbles. You can get caught in you know strange loops of different kinds where stuff you're not really that interested in, but you clicked on by accident starts affecting your profile and you start seeing different things. So there have to be a lot of safeguards and you know that I think is a little bit more um, problematic. And then salted on top of that kind of profiling based personalization, which you know, I guess the, the best example we're all familiar with is taste profiling on Amazon and Netflix and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Those kind of layers I think will interact with a lot of very topical things like, you know, personalization based on things that the organization is doing. Like we've just opened this pro proton therapy. We need to drive everybody who's within a certain catchment area to, to use the, the equipment and so forth. Those, those kinds of things are always going to be there and they're always going to be sort of salted on top. I, th I think those layers will happen. The, the real question is how much CRM and EMR data will actually end up influencing personalization. And this, this ships you out of anonymous users and into mm -hmm. known users. We have quite a few clients that are experimenting with using non-PHI data from um, different backend systems to help tune up personalization because that can obviously be more direct. You know, it's not like you're just inferring 
something about the user uh, from their browsing experience, which may be random or maybe someone else who's uh, on their machine even. This is sort of like someone signs up for an info session on, on a subject. They've expressed an interest in it. It's not protected PHI, but it is uh, information that you can use to market. And so we're also seeing a lot of that uh, starting to weave into the practice. I think that machine learning will have a place in it in some sense, but the thing about machine learning, you know, which is more sort of the artificial intelligence side, is that, first of all, you need very large amounts of traffic running for a long time to really sort through complicated problems with machine mm-hmm. learning. But also, there's tremendous potential for it to go wrong because it's not based on human inference. It's just based on finding correlations between mm-hmm. things. And as we all know, correlations are not necessarily meaningful. The bigger issue, though, is I think machine learning is um, something that, although marketers are very attracted to it because it sort of promises a silver bullet that would cut through developing this whole practice that I'm talking mm-hmm. about, I think it's really, at the moment, somewhat of a fantasy in the sense that just even setting up the initial conditions for a very primitive machine learning experiment is is way more complicated than what most programmers do all day. The people who have done really well with it, like IBM with Watson, mm-hmm. what nobody realizes is they spent five to seven years building the ontology that's underneath of the Watson machine learning. That's work that human beings did to kind of get that launched. So You mentioned a lot of things, and we're going to link to like blog posts and, and getting your book on Amazon, those sorts of things. If people want to find out more about you and, and follow you or maybe even read some of the stuff that you do, what's a good way to, for them to find you online? You can find me uh, through the Burn Group website, which is uh, B-E-R-N as in Nancy, D as in Dave, T as in Tom, group.net. Um, or you can find me on Twitter where I'm R John Burnt, J-O-H-N-B-E-R-N-D-T. John, thank you so much for being part of today's uh, podcast. We really appreciate it. Sure, absolutely. I'm more than happy to do it. And uh, I love just having a chance to have a conversation with you, Chris. Thanks so much. Here we are. Here we are at the end of the uh, podcast. And before we get into recommendations, a quick reminder that Chris and I will be doing a webinar on podcasting. I know that sounds like a weird circular loop, but we will be um, talking a little bit about this podcast and why we do it and how we do it. A little bit in the weeds, if that's something that sounds interesting to you from a content creation standpoint, or just to check out what other monthly webinars that the Mayo Clinic has to offer, you can navigate over to socialmedia.mayoclinic.org and learn a little bit more there. Hey, Reed, I had a thought. If next week we're going to be doing a webinar about podcasts, then maybe we should do as a follow-up a podcast about webinars. Ooh, I like that. That's a good idea. We should do that. Uh, okay, so recommendations. What uh, what do you have this week? Well, Reed, we've been talking a lot about clothes this episode. I'm going to recommend a clothing brand that I like. They're called Rag and Bone. They're a a New York-based clothing company. They're kind of hipster and upscale. They do a lot of jeans and other things. But the reason why I'm recommending them, they're coming out with a special Star Wars-inspired line. Oh, boy. And I got a video of some of the things that they're doing that are, are pretty cool. So imagine melding kind of high fashion 
street urban wear clothing and shoes and things like that with Star Wars. And it's actually, it got me really excited, really buzzed. I'm sure, you know, their Star Wars inspired jackets are going to be a thousand bucks and, you know, that sort of thing, a little bit unattainable. But still, I really like it. So Rag and Bone Star Wars Collection. We'll link to a video that you can take a look at. And uh, it's pretty cool. It got me excited. That's uh, I'm going to check that out. That sounds pretty cool. Wondering when they may have a Dukes of Hazzard <laughs> themed set. That would be awesome. <laughs> All right. So uh, my recommendation is on the technology front. And actually, I do not have this yet. Considering buying it, there is a company called Hinge Docs. And I've had some of their products historically. And basically, it's a, kind of a custom dock for your uh, Apple gear, you know, like a docking station for your laptop, for example. And they've got a few other little odd-in accessories as well. But they have a, a new one, a tethered docking station that works with the new uh, MacBook Pro with the USB-C ports and all that kind of stuff. And so basically, it's like a hub for your entire world that just has one cord that then plugs in your laptop, makes it easy to dock. So it's a tethered docking station. That's what they call it. It looks really cool. It actually even serves as a little bit of a uh, kind of a kickstand for your laptop if you want to use it as a secondary stand. So for everybody out there that likes the new MacBook but wishes it had the SD port and some of those types of things, um, or Maybe uh, at your desk, you'd like to have an Ethernet cable uh, plugged in, you know, that kind of thing. This is uh, looks to be a really cool way to go, and I guess just announced or just kind of came out. So um, we'll have a link to Very that. Cool. Hinge Docs is the brand, and it's a tethered dock for your MacBook Pro. Cool. I do need one of those. Very cool. Well, uh, that brings us to the end of episode 40 episode four zero so thanks again for all the support uh feedback and uh, involvement in the podcast we certainly appreciate that rating and reviews on itunes is always helpful and, and lets other people find us so we appreciate that and of course thanks to our sponsors he is chris boyer i'm reed smith and we'll see you next week